You're a podcast listener, and this is a podcast ad. Reach great listeners like yourself with podcast advertising from Lips and Ads. Choose from hundreds of top podcasts offering host endorsements, or run a reproduced ad like this one across thousands of shows to reach your target audience with Lips and Ads. Go to lipsandads.com now. That's L I B S Y N ads.com. You're a podcast listener, and this is a podcast ad. Reach great listeners like yourself with podcast advertising from Lips and Ads. Choose from hundreds of top podcasts offering host endorsements, or run a reproduced ad like this one across thousands of shows to reach your target audience with Lips and Ads. Go to lipsandads.com now. That's L I B S Y N ads.com. You're a podcast listener, and this is a podcast ad. Reach great listeners like yourself with podcast advertising from Lips and Ads. Choose from hundreds of top podcasts offering host endorsements, or run a reproduced ad like this one across thousands of shows to reach your target audience with Lips and Ads. Go to lipsandads.com now. That's L I B S Y N ads.com. Well, what's up, all of our liberty loving friends? This is Nate. Thurston, good morning, Liberty, life, liberty, and the pursuit of meaning. I'm bringing you an interview today I just did with Sam Mangold Linnett, who is a staff editor at The Federalist, also a contributor for Young Voices. All of his links will be in the show notes. We're going to be talking about Hamilton 68, which was exposed by the Twitter files, and a little bit about this idea of the managerial class, the managerial revolution, and this bureaucracy. A really great conversation. I think you guys are going to love it. Here you go. Thanks for having me. Uh, I'm Sam Mangle-Bennett. I am a staff editor at The Federalist. I'm hoping to chat about with you guys about uh, Hamilton 68. Yeah, so I, uh, I read a little bit, you know, there's been a lot of Twitter files that came out. I don't know what number they're on right now, uh, but it's a bunch. Uh, some, some things get lost in the weeds. Uh, some things maybe didn't hit as big as others. But I do remember the Hamilton 68 thing. Uh, for everyone who doesn't know all about that, could you fill us in a little bit on what we're talking about? Yeah. Um, Twitter files have been very um, voluminous. There's been several installments at this point. Um, and unfortunately, there isn't like a, a, you know, granted, they're working through a ton of content. So it's kind of hard to expect them to have like a scheduled release date um, for all of them. Uh, there's just so much that to slog through. Um, but Hamilton 68 is a, and it still exists also. They just rebranded to Hamilton 2.0. Um, it was a, the official term used is neoliberal. Uh, it's, it's a bipartisan neoliberal propaganda outfit um, that was put on by a bipartisan think tank. Uh, it featured people like John Podesta, Bill Kristol, um, some former Rubio and Hillary Clinton advisors, people like that. Um, so Hamilton 68 was this digital dashboard that would algorithmically curate lists of social media users, um, mostly Twitter, as far as we know, because that's where we got this information from is the Twitter files. Um, and what it would do is it flagged anything that it deemed as pro-Russian propaganda um, in the sense that it was pro-Donald Trump's presidency or pro-Donald Trump's candidacy in 2016, or if it was anti-Hillary Clinton. Because if you're pro-Trump, you're pro-Russia. If you're anti-Hillary, you're pro-Trump, therefore you're pro-Russia. Um, and what it turned out, what they were doing is they were using these lists of profiles that they called bots. These were This was the genesis of the Russian bot myth. Um, these were just, these were real people. And they were using these, these 
lists to basically just feed stories out to corporate journalists, to academics, to do studies that were fabricated and built on nothing other than these lies that these alleged Russian bots are pushing disinformation and hijacking our discourse. But these were just normal people. They were just people in middle America, people, prominent media people, just anonymous people who like to post online for the fun of it. They were real people with names and addresses, not you know, AI cure the AI generated nonsense. They were actual flesh and bone people. So is it what is it well known that these people uh, closely linked to Clinton and the Clinton campaign are are or were or are involved with this Hamilton sixty eight thing? I, I would think that would be a much bigger story if they were uh, one of the biggest originators of this Russian bot uh, story, wouldn't you think? You would think, yeah. Um, unfortunately, I mean as is the case with really anything that's, you know, damning for the Clintons or for the left in general, it gets swept under the rug. So Hamilton 68 came and the story went almost as quickly as it appeared. Uh, people talked about it online for a pretty hot minute. It was pretty intense for a while. Um, but corporate media, aside from, you know, Fox didn't really talk about it. Um, and that's just the unfortunate reality of the situation is that it's probably the, like I said earlier, this still exists. Hamilton 2.0 is still out there. Now this probably doing the same thing. Very likely is doing the same thing. I, I would assume. I would assume so. Now this whole thing, you know, over the last uh, few years, couple of years, we've been told about Trump's big lie and trying to subvert American democracy and destroy American democracy. But then you have these people who were literally planting stories about Trump being a a Russian plant uh, working for Putin and actually, in my opinion, doing more harm to democracy during that time than Trump saying that the election was stolen. Now, I'd, I'll say, as I've said on the podcast a bunch of times, but that way, you know, I didn't vote for Trump either time. Uh, that's I, I just, uh, you know, I couldn't do it, but I didn't hate the guy. Don't totally hate the guy. And I was pretty annoyed with how he was treated over the, the time that he was the president and it seems like a lot of it came from this whole Russian disinformation campaign. No, for sure. I, I totally agree with that. And the the reality of the situation is that things like Hamilton 68 and again, Hamilton 68 is just one thing. And we only know about it because of the Twitter files. We don't know what else is going on out there in the void because sure as hell, a lot of stuff is happening. Um, uh, this uh, it fundamentally delegitimizes our civic processes. You can't have a you can't have free and fair elections when you have people like the ha- people behind Hamilton sixty eight meddling in things so holistically. Their whole purpose was to undermine a legitimately elected president in twenty sixteen to put the fear of foreign hijacking into every aspect of the democratic process. So. You know, there's still questions about 2020, but the whole point of Hamilton 68 and that endeavor was to delegitimize our electoral process and just get people to trust the federal bureaucracy and the regime. You're not supposed to actually trust elected officials. You're supposed to give all the power to the intelligence apparatus and trust that they're making good decisions without questioning it. Yeah, here in a bit, I want to talk to you a, a little bit about the uh, the managerial class, but I was going to ask you, can we... Can we trust the DOJ or any of these agencies uh, right now? Are they redeemable at this point? 
Uh, <laughs> it's a heavy question. Um, <laughs> my my heart says yes, but my gut says no. Um, I, I think that you know if we have um, the issue is is that you can have you know uh, Schedule F firings. You can you can fire every single bureaucrat within your power. If, if we get a president to do that, you can they can do that and try and cut out as much rot as they can. But uh, you alluded to the managerial class. The issue is that the managerial class is always going to find its way back into these institutions. So unless there's a massive change in perspective and the type of people who want to hold power like this or hold this influence, I just can't see how these things are going to change. Our entire system of governance has forfeited power from elected officials to bureaucratic faceless unelected regimes it's just not i don't see how it's currently redeemable now when you talk about the uh, in your piece uh, which uh, by the way i'll put a link to it uh, from the federalist uh, so everyone can click on it go read it if they want to you allude to the managerial class are you alluding to the uh, i believe there's a book right by james burnham is that right uh, talking about the managerial yeah. revolution uh, i actually hadn't yeah. heard of that until a couple months ago and i I read up a bit on it and read some summaries and highlights on it. And man, if it doesn't sound exactly what's been going on here here for a bit, do you want to give everyone a little synopsis of that idea? Yeah, for sure. Um, so it's basically um, the the structure of the way our society is structured um, has been fundamentally changed so that Middlemen run the run the show. It's basically a nation, a nationwide DMV, where um, specialists, experts, um, scientists, people who are credentialed run the show because they're credentialed and are supposed to be the experts in certain tasks. Um, this is really evident with uh, you know with COVID with uh, Dr. Fauci. He's a great example of it. Uh, this is someone who has been in the government for decades who is one of the most credentialed people in the government, the highest paid government employee. And he is supposed to be, you know, um, delegating tasks. He's supposed to be a manager in the most organic sense or one sense, I suppose. Um, but what, what happens with this is that decision-making power is taken away from the people because it's taken away from elected officials. It's then elected officials give it all to bureaucrats to kind of try and streamline the process. Or and sure, uh, the process is streamlined. Like if you look at, um, you know, the ATF or the DEA or any one of these alphabet soup agencies, they're able to make decisions in a more streamlined process because they don't have to have open debate about it. They can just rubber stamp a, pro a, um, a rule. Like if the ATF wants to ban pistol braces, they can just rubber stamp a rule and that's the rule. Sure, they have, you know, the question period, but how legit, like how much how seriously do they actually take that? It's just passing rules to pass rules. They don't actually, the experts don't actually have you weigh in because they're unelected. And because they're not actually making laws, for instance, Congress shall make no law. Uh, well, right. when the bureaucracy does it, it's not exactly Congress making a law at that time. Um, we see the managerial class. Uh, it happens within capitalism and the business structure. Also, you see the people who... People. 
uh, create the thing, eventually get pushed out uh, by the people who are running the day-to-day operations. And uh, we actually see that quite a bit. That's kind of the, the I've, I actually just heard a discussion last week about how it's actually all of the middle managers and people that are running Disney. It's not like the CEO cares about all this stuff that's going on uh, with uh, whatever's woke in their content. It's all those people. And, and the CEO can't really do anything about it. He'll end up, he'll lose everyone if he tries to go against them. And uh, so that's kind of how the, the managers, the problem I see with that is that you lose the people who create. You can have people come in and say they can run the day-to-day better than this person can maybe, but what about the creators uh, later on? Then maybe we're getting into more of a, a Ayn Rand conversation after that. I'm not sure. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. I don't know about y'all, but I'm my best self when I'm doing things I truly care about, like this show, day trading, spending time with my family. But when I get overwhelmed, I have a tough time doing those things, even when I know I need to. Working with a therapist can help you get closer to that best version of you, because when you feel confident and empowered, you're more prepared to take on everything life is throwing at you. I'm one of the many people who have benefited from therapy, by the way. It helped me filter through all the noise, get down to the root cause of my problems so I could actually solve them and move on. So if you're thinking of giving therapy a try, BetterHelp is a great option. It's convenient, flexible, affordable, and entirely online. Just fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist and switch therapist anytime for no additional charge. If you want to live a more empowered life, therapy can get you there. Visit betterhelp.com GML today to get 10% off your first month. That's betterhelp.com slash GML. And to kind of bring it back to like a political perspective, even if you have like, say, the National Security Council, and they're tr- they're appointed by, say, Donald Trump, the people who are in the uh, government who work under them aren't necessarily appointed by the president. Uh, if Trump appoints someone to the NSC, that that is they have a mandate from the people because that's an elected official appointing them. All the other just federal employees probably have their own ideology that's probably left-wing if we're just going on data they can slow walk any policy any part of the any part of the decision-making process to undermine a duly elected official yeah, or they I mean, can just straight up hijack it by inserting their own ideology you're kind of biased in a in a direction of a more powerful state when you are nominating people for this because you're generally going to be nominating people that think the government should be involved in all of these things in the first place one of the things I actually liked about Trump when he first started nominating people, he was nominating people that didn't think they should exist in the first place, which I thought was pretty cool, like Bureau of Land Management, uh, Government Shouldn't Own Land, uh, Department of Labor. I can't remember the guy's name from Hardee's, but, you know, didn't think there ought to be a minimum wage. And uh, then, you know, Department of Education, someone who who, uh, wants to push towards private schools and stuff like that. I actually like that, even as a libertarian, when he first started uh, when he first started appointing people or nominating people towards that. Now, I wanted to get back to the name uh, Hamilton 68. You you talk about this in the piece. They're not exactly hiding the fact that they think they need to be running things, right? Uh, I don't think so. Uh, granted, this is a bit of a bit of speculation on my end. Mm. Um, it, it's just kind of weird that they chose the name Hamilton and the number 68. There doesn't really seem to be any reason for that in their structure. Um, so my theory was they just chose the 68th Federalist Paper, which happens to be written by Alexander Hamilton and happens to be happens to heavily be about how um, a group of elite people ought to have a um, outsized influence on selecting the presidency. 
uh, or the president rather. Um, I tend not to believe in coincidences. Um, so I don't think this is a coincidence. Um, but I, I think what they're doing is actively adopting the aesthetics of the American founding to subvert the entire point of it. Uh, if you can say what we're doing is in the name of the founding, look, look at our name, we're named after a founding father, a lot of people are going to assume that you're acting in the best interest of the nation. It's, it's actually, they, they, they think that you actually care about the Constitution, that maybe even the Federalist Papers, if you're going to name it after that. And so how can anything that you're doing be against that? Uh, sort of uh, like what the Lincoln Project uh, kind of does, you know, that, right, that exactly. sort of thing yeah. where, where you pick a name. I w would agree with you. Now, I, I agree also with this speculation with the Hamilton 68 thing, but that would be an awful big coincidence if the 68 Federalist Paper was written by Alexander Hamilton and talked about how these elites should essentially be uh, the people that are choosing uh, the president because you wouldn't want to leave it to the to the whims of the people. Now, I wouldn't want a, a direct Democratic vote for the president, but I think this paper went a little bit uh, further on that. So tell me, um, have we missed any of the, the big points in this piece and what else are you working on right now? Um, no, I think we covered, we covered most of it, um, all of the big takeaways. Uh, right now, let me see what's on my to write list. Um, so, you know, we have Nikki Haley about to announce her presidency, mm -hmm. um, or her candidacy rather. Um, so I was going to try and, uh, see what's going on there. Uh, you know, it's still very 2024 is still a while away. Um, well, I mean, it's not, it's right around the corner, but it's also still a while away. Anything can happen within the span of a year. Um, so I'm hoping to, uh, get something out relatively soon about, about that. Um, as well as uh, Vivek Ramaswamy, uh, who's a, uh, a venture capitalist from Cincinnati, Ohio, uh, my hometown. Uh, he wrote the book Woke Inc. Um, he's pretty classically liberal, uh, but he is he's never held elected office, but he's very, very popular in conservative circles or libertarian circles as well. Uh, he is allegedly exploring a run for the presidency. Um, so I'm hoping to get something out about that as well. Um, I just don't particularly see a, a, I don't know who the voters are for either of those candidates. Um, you might have like the 40 people who still support Mitt Romney in the country supporting Nikki Haley. <laughs> um, but when it comes to someone like uh, Vivek Ramaswamy, who's just, he's very popular, obviously, because he does the media circuit constantly. He's always on Tucker Carlson. He's always on podcasts. And he wrote two New York Times bestsellers. I don't really see the, Running as a Republican, I don't really see his ideological interests being represented. Um, he's very much a he's very focused on capitalism and depoliticizing the American marketplace. But the Republican Party's in more of a natcon vein at the moment. Um, so I'm curious to see what a Ramaswamy candidacy would look like. Maybe that's something that the Republican Party does need, though. You know, some some type of a of a different idea out there. I think this, uh, this election, what we're going to see is a lot of people whose purpose is to dilute the Trump vote and dilute the DeSantis vote and whichever, whichever camp can dilute, uh, the most amount of people, because I, I mean, I, I assume it's more Trump and DeSantis being the two biggest, uh, and I think what, what the Republican party, uh, would want to do if they don't want Trump to be the nominee is they're going to have to pick a lot of people who Trump fans would really, really support. Uh, but 
for maybe don't like DeSantis, I don't know, but who Trump fans really support that could maybe split the Trump vote a bit, just enough for DeSantis to have enough. And I was just telling one of my family members that a couple of weeks ago that we're going to see a lot of uh, right wing uh, MAGA types, whatever that is, potentially get put up there to split up that vote. My assumption. Who do you think those might be? I'm not really sure. You know, uh, I, I don't know if Gates is popular enough to do this, but he has been in the news quite a bit. Um, could be enough at least to split some vote in a couple early primaries, something like that. Um, I, you know, MTG, I don't know if, um, you know, I don't know if these people would actually want to be seen as people running against Trump. That's the problem. They might be too close to the situation and risk losing a lot of their supporters. Um, I, I'm not, uh, I'm I'm not real sure who all those people uh, could possibly be. They can't be so close that they break that friendship and lose all that support, but they also need to fit the demographic of those voters enough uh, that they could split some away from them. Um, I personally don't want to see Trump as the nominee again. I don't think that's a good thing, even though I thought he got a really super raw deal, even as a libertarian. I think he got screwed <laughs> big time. But um, I, I still... I just don't think it's a good thing. I think he's out for blood now. I don't think he's out for uh, actually solving some of the big problems. And and that's not a good thing, in my opinion. What are your thoughts on that? Um, I agree that I think that they're trying to, well, like we saw in 2016, a more crowded field probably will benefit Trump again. Um, personally, I'm a, I was a big, very big fan of Trump's presidency. Uh, um uh, again, I also think he got shafted in 2020. Um, but also this this third campaign leaves a lot to be desired, personally. Uh, there isn't the same... In 2016, it was a very, very, you know, I don't want to say visceral, but a very electric campaign. It was very energized. Um, and in 2020, there was that whole, you know, we... There was just... There was, there was a lot of energy behind 2016 and 2020. And in 2024, it feels kind of deflated in a sense, um, kind of feels like he's on defense in a lot of ways. Well, now I think um, I think his main message now is that we need to get this for him because he got screwed and that this is what he right. deserves uh, rather than all of the other stuff. And, and to me, that's not going to inspire people the same way that 2016 and 2020 did. I was a you know, I, I said I didn't vote for him and everything. That's just because I was trying to vote for uh, for for libertarians or or whoever else. Actually, I wrote in Rand Paul in 2016, which I realize is annoying, but I drove all the way to <laughs> Iowa from Nashville to go see his, uh, to go see his speech. So, um, yeah, I wrote him in in 2016. But, um, you know, I, I think Trump overall did a pretty good job, especially as a libertarian. He didn't start any new wars, which is one of the first times since I've been paying attention that that's ever happened. And he actually brokered some pretty good peace deals out there. And uh, sure, you know, he, he's kept dropping bombs and everything, but I was happy to not see any new wars. Uh, out there and the, a little bit of deregulation and the tax cuts and jobs sure. act, I think was pretty good. Uh, I would have preferred him not sign some of the big deficits, but like I said, I, I think he got screwed in the media. This Russia thing is very concerning to me because I think that was basically made up the entire time. I think the left was doing what they say the right is doing right now. And it's just a big gaslight special at the moment. And uh, I hope somehow that can be solved. I think it's gonna. You, you asked earlier if it's like a. If I think there's hope, I, I think in order for there to be hope, there has to be a lot of further delegitimization of these institutions, and I think the fact that 
now granted corporate media is ignoring it because they we're complicit in a lot of it. Um, I think the more that like alternative media, like podcasts and um, conservative outlets or libertarian outlets, or just outlets that aren't the main, the, the main alleged mainstream cover things like this. That's where eyeballs go. Like CNN's ratings are plummeting. Mm-hmm. They, they forfeit all credibility. Um, so hopefully things like this can come more to the forefront. Yeah, totally agree. Uh, so I think we covered some good stuff. I want to have you back on when you get some more pieces out and we can uh, keep talking and keep speculating on some of this. I actually enjoy a little bit of the speculation here at the end of the show, too. That's uh, that's fun. But where can everyone go to uh, follow the stuff uh, as you put it out? You got a site they can go to, Twitter, something like that? Yeah, so um, all my articles are on thefederalist.com. That's uh, the, F-E-D-E-R-A-L-I-S-T, dot um, com. And on Twitter, I'm at Mangold, M-A-N-G-O-L-D underscore Lennett, L-E-N-E-T-T. Great. Just so everyone knows who's listening right now, the links to all that will be in the show yeah. notes. And Sam, we uh, we look forward to having you on again sometime. Thanks. I appreciate it. Look, I look in back. All right. Thank you. Have a good one. You as well.